0: anything that comes to mind when we say we're about to study Revelation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, why are you excited, Emily? Oh, that wasn't excited. I, that was more... Uh, I am excited um, to get direction through this. But I've when I have flailed my way into Revelation... A few times, I, I, I just get lost. So I'm 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 excited about getting to get a guided tour. Along those same lines, I, I I was in a women's Wednesday morning Bible study when COVID hit and we shut down two lessons before the end of Revelation. I feel like I was confused throughout the entire. Think whether we finished or not. I was always confused. I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to you giving some clarity to it, Alan. Well, I can go ahead and tell you how it ends if you don't. Uh... <laughs> I got that part figured out. <laughs> it was oh, all ain't... the horses and things, and and taken to different levels, and it was just between my active imagination and what I was reading. I was thinking, wow, there's a lot going on here. All right. Yeah, we have an online comment that says it's the only book we're told we are blessed by reading it and hearing it. Yep. All right. I think about Martin Luther. He didn't care much for it. Yeah. <laughs> and John Calvin didn't even acknowledge it. Yeah. Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. The guy that was big in uh, young life, like consider a mentor he just said every time they got involved with it everybody was arguing all the time Well, and that's that's exactly true and and that's why just if you weren't uh, with us last week what I want to do tonight and next Wednesday is to uh, do sort of an introduction to look at uh, the approaches that some people take uh, and and Nelson, you, you really teed it up for me because there will be some places where you don't agree with me. There will be some places where what you have been taught, where you have uh, studied Revelation, if you have a Schofield study Bible, you have a, a, a almost a commentary on Revelation throughout the study notes in that particular Bible. Because that Bible came out of a movement that was sort hmm. of uh, part of interpreting Revelation called dispensationalism. And we'll look at that a little bit uh, uh, tonight. But um, So for the, the first time in a long time, Wednesday night will not correspond with Sunday morning this, this week and next week. This week on Sunday, I'm going to do a message on Labor Day. Uh, sabbath and rest and then next week will be mission sunday and jeff will be leading uh, a team of mission folk who are going to uh, uh, let us know all of the things that are going on in the among the mission partners uh, here at dbc and then the uh, following sunday i think the 17th we will dive into revelation chapter 1 and so the Wednesday that's prior to the 17th is when we will dive into verses here. But for the next two weeks, I want to just talk a little bit about Revelation and uh, and we'll dig into the to the scripture a little bit. So if you have uh, notes, I, I hope that you will uh, uh, let me hear about that. So. Emily made a, a great observation. As did uh uh Nikoa, that a lot of times when we start in the revelation, it's almost like when we start Daniel. We love the narrative part that begins. We love the idea that, that John is the uh writer of uh the vision of Revelation and that he's in a cave somewhere in Patmos, and he's he's writing this down. And then we sort of get confused when they start talking about horns and trumpets and bowls and dragons and red and pale and black and white and and so we 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 are often uh lose uh interest uh no that's not a good word we don't lose interest we we just come off the rails a little bit because we don't necessarily understand um there are a few examples in scripture of what is called apocalyptic literature. Uh, apocalyptic, uh, apocalypse, the, the, the idea of last things. And so revelation and Daniel are the two most, um, dramatic, uh, instances of, of apocalyptic literature if you've ever had a Bible that was, I I call it a Catholic Bible, there is an extra set of books that are there called the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha are, uh, scripture books that were not, uh, accepted as authentic for the, uh, Bible that was, uh, uh, solidified in, uh, about, um, Oh, 300 or so A.D., uh, they they are not what is called canon. They are not uh, included in the uh, uh, what would be the authorized or the accepted uh, scripture. Nonetheless, they're interesting to read, and several of them are apocalyptic. Uh, several of them are historical. Uh, we know more about the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew because of the books of the Maccabees, which are in the Apocrypha in the uh, Catholic Bible. So um, we are studying Revelation, which is the absolute um, king of apocrypha, apocalyptic literature because it uses symbolism. It uses uh, a lot of uh, vague references and disguised uh uh, symbols. Um, so I decided I was going to go ahead and do it after being afraid of it for a long, long time. And it's not that I'm afraid to study it. I just don't want to cause dissension. And it is one of those books that people feel uh, very strongly about an interpretation of the book, whether it is uh uh, because of the way they were brought up, or a, uh, a writer or an author that they were exposed to, or maybe even experiences that they've had, it's, uh, uh, it, it is a book that can cause division because really, really smart people line up on all of the sides. When I said to the church that I was finally going to preach revelation, Jerry Wilkinson came to me and said, you're retiring, aren't you? <laughs> he said, because because preachers always do revelation right before they leave. <laughs> and I said, well, that's, that's a fair statement. I understand why. <laughs> uh, but uh, what what really happened with me is that I looked at the spreadsheet that I keep of all of the... Uh, passages of scripture that I've dealt with in the pulpit and if there is a a part that's really really blank I I feel a little convicted to deal with it so last year I looked and Ruth was not represented at all we had never preached on Ruth here so we did a series in Ruth uh, this time I'm going to take Revelation because we've never done anything with it and, and one of my goals is always that we elevate the the Bible IQ of of our church. And so I'm finally going to do Revelation. Let me give you a a little bit of testimony. Uh, I am 60, I'll be 66 years old this fall, which means that I was born in the year of the Chevrolet Bel Air, the 57 model that was the best one they ever built. Although I'm partial to the 55, but that's just me. Drop my pen. I had, so that, I had a fifty-seven. Go ahead. You were. I had a fifty-seven. The fifty-seven two-door was a classic, but I'd still take a fifty-five. But anyway, the five. Uh, one thing, well, uh, the fifty-five you can drop a huge motor into. Exactly. And the, the won all the drags out in That's Southern insane. California. Fifty-five was Harrison Flight. Ford's car in American Graffiti. So anyway, that means I came of age in the 70s. Um, I was uh, uh, 13 years old in 1970, and uh, that's the ripe old age for people to begin to understand what a relationship with Christ might mean. Uh, We are very convicted in this church to support children's and youth ministry because between the ages of 8 and 20, Uh, the vast majority of decisions for Christ are made. And there was no exception where I was. I was in Richardson, Texas. Uh, The little church called the Trinity Baptist Church sent a bus through the neighborhood, picking up reprobate kids to take them to Sunday school. Uh, I can only imagine today, a parent allowing their child to march out to the curb and get on a bus with a stranger on a Sunday morning. But uh, that's sort of the way of the 70s. And I became a Christian because the pastor of that church, who ironically was very committed to addiction recovery, he was uh, uh, a part of the Texas alcohol and narcotic education team, the Tane team. And uh, that was very unusual for a pastor. But my point is that in my first few years as a Christian, I do not remember a single sermon in Revelation. I don't remember any teaching. I don't remember any instruction. But doggone if if about 1972 or so, a series of films came out and the first one was called A Thief in the Night. And it was one of those rapture films where where people are driving cars and they disappear and a, the woman's cooking dinner and she disappears and the husband's left behind. And, and it was, it, that, that was the whole idea of uh, of the movies is to present a, a version of the second coming of Christ, which was uh, a rapture version of it. Now, the rapture is not really in the Bible, but it's uh, an interpretation that has been brought to us by people who have studied Revelation, and that's the interpretation they came to. Um, it was relatively quiet um, in the uh, the 70s, but then it began to get busy. Does anybody remember an author named Salem Kirban? He wrote two things in the 70s. He wrote a guide to survival, which described a pattern in culture that he says came from via from uh, revelation. So the, the napalm bombings in Vietnam were there. They are there in revelation. That's what it means when it talks about burning flesh. Uh, they, they, they begin to try to figure out who the antichrist was by uh, assigning numerical values to the letters in their names so uh Khrushchev and uh the you know the, all all the the enemies of America were somehow contrived to be the antichrist um 1970 he released a novel called 666 which was sort of a a fusion of the current events of the day of course you remember what was going on in in 68 69 70 john f kennedy killed in 63 robert kennedy martin luther king assassinated in 1968 the civil rights movement the uh, the riots in the streets the unrest um woodstock hate ashbury all of the cultural things that were going on the sexual revolution and so this guy equated cultural events with things that were predicted in Revelation, and he began to uh, uh, help us all believe that uh, maybe the second coming of Christ was not very far away. Any, anybody got a comment? You remember those days at all? Yeah, Nelson? Well, well hey, Tim, well, hey, left behind? You know, and there's a whole series. Well, the Hal Lindsey series. Well, before, before him, yeah. Was the yeah that's late true. Great Planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, it was a sort of a, a dime store novel version of Carbon 666 that, uh, uh, you know, all it didn't have was the comic book pictures. But uh, the Late Great Planet Earth was kind of a must read for college students uh, who were in college anytime during the 70s. And uh, I, I remember, I remember seeing it on. I'm sure I had one on my shelf at some point when I became a a youth pastor. But the idea is that uh, rapture stories became all the rage. And uh, I, I look around the room, and most of you would be old enough, uh, except for Richard, to remember the, the those those times when we we, you know, we, we would talk deep into the night about the signs of the times and, uh, how this symbol meant that and how the, the scorpions were helicopters and the, uh, tanks were the great beasts. And it, it, you probably were we on the that tail end 90s. of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, because in the 90s, you had the, uh, left behind series, right? That, the uh, 95, I think was when, uh, uh, the uh, the left behind series kind of uh, broke out but the plot is similar people disappear uh, cars are empty uh, s- select family members disappear a husband does a wife doesn't a child does an aunt doesn't um, uh, then, then people line up to get the mark of the beast and uh, then, earth scorching heat, famines in the tribulation, the powers of the antichrist dominating the earth for a period of time—that that's sort of the plot line with the these rapture stories. Um, now, if I sound like a skeptic, I, 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 I a little bit am. I, I I'm open to ideas that people have. But if somebody, and I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you where I'm going to go eventually with this. If somebody says, what's your theory of the second coming of Christ? Are you a premillennialist or a postmillennialist or an amillennialist or a tribulationist? I usually say I'm an Acts 17 ist The disciples asked Jesus, when are you coming back? And he said, it's none of your business. <laughs> and he said he was coming back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back, but he said in Acts 1-7, no one knows the times that are appointed by the Father. So maybe uh, while we want to understand the whole counsel of Scripture and especially the Revelation, uh, I don't want to spend excessive time on charts and graphs and suppositions and prophecies and predictions that are largely man-made. I don't think that's what Revelation is really about, but I'll get there in a minute. Now, I have to take a a sidebar and say that we have all been profoundly influenced by a guy that, if I name him, you will never have heard of him. Maybe somebody. Has anybody ever heard of John Nelson Darby? heard of him I can't remember why oh, yeah. he is the father of dispensationalism now the word dispensationalism a dispensation is a a subset of time so there would be uh, a, a a prehistoric dispensation a, a, a part on the timeline where certain things happened and a part on the timeline and so the dispensationalist, let me just read this so I don't mess it up. Dispensationalism is a popular and widespread way of reading the Bible. So it is not just concocted out of the air. It is a, a biblical interpretation scheme. And, and scheme is not a bad word there. I'm just saying it's a, it's a strategy. It originated in the 19th century with the teaching of John Nelson Darby was popularized in the United States through the Bible conference movement and out of the Bible conference movement 1909 the Schofield reference Bible was produced almost all of you have seen a Schofield reference Bible if you have a relative who is older than you who was a Christian Because the Schofield was the standard in the early part of the 20th century. And the Schofield, Charles Schofield, was um, an early adopter into Darby's dispensationalism. And so I think we said this a couple of weeks ago that uh, we, we have to be aware that a Bible is translated but the person who translates it makes some choices. Last week, we talked about Acts 7.37 and how, or 8.37, and how it's funny that it's not in everybody's Bible, mm-hmm. that, that that a lot of Bibles skip from Acts 8.36 to 8.38. Where's the verse? The great lost yeah. verse of Acts mm-hmm. 8. Uh, well, the the note at the bottom says that that not all of the, uh, the early manuscripts had this verse, but that in later manuscripts they inserted it. I, I said Sunday why I thought that was that I, I thought it was a baptism uh, mantra of a a slogan when someone is baptized, and they wanted to make sure that it was represented. And that's okay. It was it was part of the canon that was established, but it was an honest enough. Uh, uh inclusion to say, hey, there's some dispute on this verse. Same thing with uh John chapter eight, verses one through eleven. Uh that that whole story of the woman caught in adultery is not in all of the old manuscripts. And so we we deal honestly. Well, the Scofield people, uh, especially in the notes, and I, I don't have to tell this group, but but a reminder: if you have a study Bible. The stuff above the line is inspired. The stuff below the line is opinion. (laughs) That's a scholar who is telling you what he thinks interprets. So Ryrie was a disciple of Schofield. So the Ryrie study Bible, which was the, the bell of the ball in the seventies and eighties, as far as the study Bible goes, that is a, a study Bible that strongly leans into this idea of dispensationalism. So dispensationalism, um, and by the way, the Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the most reputable seminaries in our country, strongly dispensationalist. It was founded as a dispensationalist seminary. So so the, the interpretation of Revelation at DTS is going to be a given. It's going to be a dispensationalist model. Howard Hendricks, Charles Ryrie, uh, all of them, uh, Dwight Pentecost, um, John W. Walford, all of them are dispensationalist scholars who taught at Dallas. So it's not an evil thing. It's just a way of looking at Revelation, and we can't really understand it. On Sunday morning, we're going to have. I'm not going to be able to do any of this stuff. But, but on Wednesday nights, we can't read Revelation without understanding that dispensational theology has affected all of us. We are looking for the seasons. We're looking for the 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 the, the rapture and the millennium and what's going to happen before, during, after. We've been shaped by this this language because it's found its way into all these films. A Thief in the Night. Uh, late great planet earth uh, left behind all of those are are uh, artistic portrayals of this so according to dispensationalism um, the present church age the present dispensation will be followed by a seven-year period of tribulation this is probably what you've heard the now When the rapture occurs is what is at issue with a lot of the the, the thinkers. So before the tribulation begins, the church will be caught up to heaven, rapture. So this way of thinking is called pre-tribulation. So the the rapture is a pre-tribulation event. And those people are called pre-trib dispensationalists. And you probably heard that term thrown around. At that time, uh, after the tribulation, the second coming of Christ occurs. So the rapture, the tribulation, then the second coming, all the people of God will return with Christ as a mighty army, and they will inaugurate his millennial kingdom. (laughs) Okay. It's a way of looking at it and it is it is not a dishonorable way to look at things it's a It's a struggle to try to understand uh what might happen and and I am uh completely comfortable with studying dispensationalism as a way of looking at revelation uh when we start putting more emphasis on our charts and our graphs and our predictions than we do trying to understand that the story of God is to be told to the nations I struggle a little bit with that I also struggle a lot with prediction Kirban and others have uh, I I think it's uh, the um, is it the Jehovah's Witnesses who are famous for predicting over and over to the point where at some point they just said oh yeah Jesus did come back but only invisibly right um and and and, uh the idea that they put a date an exact date um i am a little bit of a rapture skeptic Uh, i i think there is a mystery of how god will bring the church into himself and people take this very literally in uh when i was in the philippines there's a sort of a cult movement there called iglesia ni cristo uh the church of christ but it's not the same church of christ we have and they their their church architecture reflects a belief that god is literally going to rapture the church and so their churches have four spires basically on each corner of the roof with the idea that God needs to lasso them and drag them all up to heaven with a pulley system of some kind. And, and they, they, they literally embrace the rapture of the church. I think all of us have embraced rapture theology, at least in some way, shape or form. We, we had this belief that if, if Jesus decides that it's time before I die that I'm going to disappear I'm going to be caught up with Jesus in the clouds and and that's not unfair to think that way Um, when I do funerals I allude to that 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 God has seen fit to tarry his return and now this precious saint has gone on to be with him and whatever that means we know that what the scripture promises in bedrock is that the believer who dies in the Lord will be in the presence of Jesus. That's what we do know. Now, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to go through Revelation. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to to speculate. Um, unfortunately, the predictions have provided a lot of uh, ammunition for people just to make fun of the church. Yeah. Um, anybody a fan of Parks and Recreation? Yeah. You watched <laughs> there was an episode in Parks and Rec where a guy wanted to reserve their park for uh, an end of the world party. And he was sure he knew when the end of the world was an exact date and he wanted to reserve a park for that day. And they said, "Well, the park is already reserved for that day." And he said, "Well, what about the next day?" <laughs> so he he adjusted his uh, his revelation, I guess, based on the availability of the park. There was uh, anybody remember the uh, the guy named uh, Harold Camping back in two thousand and eleven? who predicted that the end of the world, the rapture and judgment day, would take place on May 21st, 2011, and that the end of the world would take place five months later on October 21st. I don't know where he got a five-month tribulation period, but uh, uh, he believed that, and on uh, October 22nd of 2011, A series of billboards showed up. Uh, There was one in New Orleans. I took a picture of it and the billboard said that was awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And then it had the scripture verse under it from Matthew 24. No one knows the day or the hour. And so it is uh, responsible and spiritually necessary for us to contemplate that the world is more than what we know that the, the spiritual realm of good and evil if if we believe in heaven we have to believe in hell if we believe in angels we have to believe in demons we can't have it both ways there can no we 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 don't have the option of believing only in a supernatural good without believing in a supernatural evil because the bible is too clear and so when we get into revelation we get into some places that that rattle us a little bit because we're we're not comfortable with the idea that we have to talk about demons and and we have to deal with the uh, the parable that Jesus uh, told of the rich man and Lazarus, how the uh, the rich man was in torment and Lazarus was in glory, and and somehow there was communication between the two realms. We we have to struggle with what the spiritual forever needs to be or or might be. Um, anybody ever heard of a an author named rod dreher he's he's a, a popular christian author and he wrote a book called the benedictine option and in that book he suggested that as we wait for the return of christ the world is too far gone there is no redemption possible in the world anymore. The world has turned their back on God. We who are Christians need to huddle up. Uh, we need to uh, 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 commune together and, and create places where we only do business with other Christians. We only intermarry with other Christians. We only relate to other Christians. We are a church community and if you're not part of that church community then you're not welcome Hmm. and it, it represents a an us versus them mentality that i think revelation will show us that's not what god had in mind that what god had in mind is that we anticipate that god is active in the natural in the supernatural, in the here, in the hereafter. We, we anticipate that God is working in those areas, but that it is not for us to know the times or the seasons. Uh, it is, it is it is not for us to try to uh, plot everything by chart. Uh, I actually uh, downloaded. Um, I thought I had it with me. Um I got a an email from somebody you know how anytime you're doing stuff that's uh, on computers, it's creepy how the computer begins to anticipate what you're trying to study. And so I started getting emails from like these rapture societies that had charts and graphs and colors and and I could order all these things and and start lining up stars and everything to know exactly uh, what was going on. But what that represents and what I will say is that we are in a culture that has spiritual unrest. Mm -hmm. Most of us who seek to follow Jesus, we know there's something wrong. There's something wrong in each of us as we sort of realize In lots of days that we've chosen worldly things over godly things that are uh, our priorities don't seem to be the priorities of God. And how much more when I spent almost an hour on the phone today with uh, another person who who sort of reads youth culture and this whole uh, gender transgender identity bender culture is just so out of control. Um, there was a sorority in um, Wyoming where a male uh, pledged that sorority and the university made them allow it. And this guy has no intention to transition his body through hormones. He just claims to be a woman so he can live in a sorority house. And and a judge in a court upheld his right to live there and uh, my friend and I just agreed the world is just off the rails that there's there's no logic Uh, somebody asked me the other day what are my pronouns (laughs) I answered them "Thee, thou and thine (laughs) I've got to have them use those so none of us think that the world is getting better right the spiritual rot that's in our culture is is not deniable and 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 many you know i've been really really open about the the addiction that i believe contributed to the death of my son you know it happened under my nose it happened over 20 years where i would try to intervene i would i would make declarations. I would ground him. I would take things away. I would try to make his life miserable. And he was an addict. He always found his way back to the substances that he craved. And so it's, it's easy for me to say the world has a rot in it. And sometimes it seems like there's nothing we can do to stop it. Sometimes it just feels like we're Um, just pawns in the loop so there's a data point that should give us hope all right the the more we go to church actually studies show the more a person goes to a bible believing church the more they have a sense of optimism and charity and it sounds crazy to say it, but one of those data points is the book of Revelation. If someone were to ask me what is one word that describes Revelation to you, I would use the word hope. Because when we really read where the arc of the story in Revelation goes, it goes to hope. Now, does it say, does it have a, a rebuke? yes. One could say easily that the the main storyline in the book of Revelation is what Jesus had to say to the church. And I I, I don't know if, if you, I, I stick stuff in my Bible and I, I stuck a map in the Bible to show me where the seven churches of the Revelation are. And I am reminded that they are in Western Turkey, modern day Turkey western turkey and that the warnings that jesus gave to the churches through the apostle john apparently were not heeded because none of these churches exist anymore and so we should take revelation as a warning to the church that he's he's he said in each of those churches i know your deeds and they weren't all bad But as in the church of Laodicea, he said, you're lukewarm. You're you're on the fence. And I'm going, how many churches does that describe? Yeah. We don't want to talk about sin anymore. We don't want to talk about hell anymore. We don't want to make anybody feel bad anymore. So there's going to be some hard words said in the series. And certainly as we... Uh, read through there let me do one more thing and we'll be done tonight and i've basically just filled up your heads tonight (laughs) (laughs) there are four basic ways to read revelation one preterists p-r-e-t-e-r-e-s-t-s-i-s-t-s preterists read revelation as though it is written to first century christians only so preterist preterists all of the symbolism babylon is rome and the uh, uh, the great satan is nero and uh, and uh, whatever emperor is on the throne at the time and and so we 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 the, some people approach it in that fashion historicists believe that Revelation is basically a history sketch of the church from beginning to end. So from the beginning of the church until God pulls the curtain on on earth. A historicist believes that Revelation is a sketch of the history of the church from the first century until its end. Futurists read Revelation thinking it's entirely about the future. That any, any symbolism that uh, relates to the 1st century or the 2nd through the 21st century is coincidental. So a futurist would say that the revelation is totally or nearly entirely about the future. And this is the the people that love charts. These are the speculators, the, the, the people that... Uh, have awkward moments where their predictions didn't come true and then finally idealists idealists are those who read revelation as being full of timeless images about god about the story of god so an idealist uh believes that the church the state God's plan for the world, that the images and truths that are presented here are for the first century and for the second century and the 20th and the 21st and for all time. You have to be careful if you are a little bit of an idealist in saying that it is that does not mean that this is um, a metaphor. It doesn't mean that revelation has no actual uh, events that have unfolded, that are unfolding, that will unfold, because that wouldn't be true either. So, um, probably I'm a combination of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, sounds a lot like I uh, won't get off the fence. <laughs> Scott McKnight wrote a book called Revelation for the Rest of Us. And this was his conclusion. And I'll, I'll kind of wind down with this and, and we'll have some uh, questions or discussion. He said, Revelation is not about a rapture out of this world, but about a faithfulness of disciples in this world. What we need is a generation not of speculators about the rapture and the millennium and the role of Israel and the end times, but what he called double dissidents. A dissident is someone who takes a stand against official policy of the church or state or both. Who dissents from the status quo with a different vision for society. And what I believe Revelation calls us to is a is to be radically dissident disciples because we're not accepting the status quo. we know that God is up to something uh, I, I I am in Camelot as a pastor to be a part of a church where every single week we see evidence that God is up to something. if you didn't get to see The Japanese woman baptized the Korean woman last Sunday. It was just the nations came to earth. Um, Right after that, we sang the casting crown song. Who am I Uh, in Korean? And all of a sudden we go, "Okay, these two ladies met. If you wander down this hallway on a Monday night, there are pairs of people all over the church who are simply having conversation. We have so many internationals in our community. They sign up for something called the Conversation Club. And if you volunteer to be in the Conversation Club on a Monday night, all you're volunteering to do is to sit down across a table or a a chair from an international person while they practice their English. Any subject is in balance a Japanese woman uh June who is uh, very very conversant in English she volunteered to sit and help somebody else with their English so the Japanese woman was talking to a Korean woman she led her to faith in Christ and the Korean woman said I want you to baptize And we are at Dunwoody Baptist Church, so okay, Jeff Reams is in the tank. He's pretending like he's translating. (laughs) Jeff Reams no more knows Korean or Japanese than I do. But uh, she says some words, and Jeff says, what is your profession today? (laughs) And she says, I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And Jeff said, she said, I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior and so the the it was just revival and we are seeing something like that almost every week so i know that the spirit of god is still moving in churches i know that the that god is not finished with the churches and i know that the warnings that we will read in revelation are certainly uh uh we we definitely need uh, to know and to and to learn from that what we don't need to do is to start saving freeze-dried food in our basements and be terrified of every uh news tidbit that we somehow tie to a symbol in revelation exactly. and then put on our chart what every time there's a every time some every time there's a country that attacks another country one's from the north one's from the south or you know that, you know oh no Yeah, and oddly enough, almost every country that attacks another country is either from the (laughs) north or the south. There's a a commentary that does a lot about Revelation. um, Different horsemen, and he talks about which horse were not now. And he talks about how the, you know, um, prepping. And he said the only thing you need to do to prep is get yourself a cemetery. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, I that's where we're gonna end up you don't need the rest of it just get us energy. i uh there's an old slogan about a farmer who says mm-hmm. i live every day just like jesus is coming back tomorrow and i live every day like he's not coming for a thousand years and there's this expectation on the edge of our seat that if he comes today that would be awesome mm-hmm. but if he doesn't come today i'm gonna do the things of the kingdom that he's taught me to do um something that's interesting is First Baptist Church in Watkinsville, Watkinsville, Georgia. Everybody that's buried in the cemetery is buried facing the east. Facing the east. Mm-hmm. And, and and those those help us in, in a lot of ways. Yes, we believe that Jesus is coming back from the east. Uh we believe that he he somehow, some way, we don't know if that's going to be bodily or or spiritually, or what, but, but the scripture seems to point to the idea that he's coming uh, down the Mount of Olives and into the city of Jerusalem, and then from there to the whole world. Well, if we believe that when we pray, God hears us pray, and we live in a planet with seven billion people, we believe that our God is big enough to hear as many voices as are praying, as can pray, then we've got to believe that maybe we don't understand all in human terms. And I've often used the term chronological narcissism. I don't know if any of you have heard me use that term, <laughs> but in in almost every era of history, the people in that time period believe That they have finally discovered the secret that has eluded thousands of years before us. Mm -hmm. We've finally figured out world peace. We've finally figured out when Jesus is coming back. We've finally figured out election or free will. We've finally figured out, and we haven't. The the humility of study in the word is that that God is revealing into us, but he is not as interested in us knowing the details as he is drawing us into relationship with himself. Uh, When we pray. uh, He's not as interested in the substance of our prayer, but the idea that we are relating to him in prayer and we grow in that and as we study Revelation, now, it's, it's a wonderful book. We'll look at some of the, the fine print next week. It was, it's, it's probably the last book chronologically of any that were written in the Scripture. This one, I believe, was, uh, was written somewhere around 90 AD. So 60, 57 years after Jesus was crucified. You know, two generations in the, in the Scripture, Uh, when revelation was it john the apostle or john the evangelist we don't really know if it was john the apostle he would have been very very old Uh, we believe pretty much that he was somewhere around 20 to 25 when he followed jesus and if he was 25 in 33 a.d then he would have been a very old man uh, when he wrote the revelation. We also don't believe that he wrote all of it at Patmos. I I think he finished it in Ephesus uh, because as a fulfillment of scripture, most people believe that John was exiled to Patmos um, as a part of the the persecution that followed the death of uh, the martyr Stephen that we talked about last Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so he was exiled to Patmos, which is an island in the Aegean, in the in the Mediterranean Sea. If you go, um, did any of you go to Greece with the, the, or have been to Greece? You may have you may have stopped at Patmos, uh, Rhodes, Patmos, Mykonos, Santorini, uh, Cyprus. All of those are islands that are clustered kind of where the Aegean Sea uh, meets the Mediterranean. And so Patmos was sort of Rome's uh, Alcatraz. It was where they exiled uh, political prisoners. Um, I believe one of Nero's own daughters was exiled to Patmos at one point in time. So John, whomever he was, wrote the Revelation under these conditions. And I'm going to end With something we can't miss. Look at the very first line in Revelation. It is not the revelation of John. It is not the revelation of the church. It is not the apocalyptic revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that means that Jesus dictated or was the tour guide for the vision it just means that john had an acute awareness that this was not just something he was making up because he went to bed having had a bad burrito (laughs) he had a vision that was clearly understood by him to be a vision from jesus christ so he says this is the revealing by the word the uh, the, the the word apocalypse and the word revelation are synonymous. They're just the same word in different languages. So the revelation or the revealing, the, the unfolding, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, not of the end of the world, not of God's, but of what Jesus came to do. And what did Jesus come to do? I came to seek and save those who were lost. And so we, we clearly know that Revelation is an exciting book, but it is an evangelistic book. It is drawing out of chaos hope. And that's where we're gonna be. Next week we'll talk about all the, the fine points, who wrote it, when it was written, why it was written, how it was written. Uh, but I wanted to sort of do the preface uh tonight. You want to show we this had video? Time yeah let's uh let's end with the, our bumper video for the series uh we're gonna put it up on screen and let you see uh, uh, where we're headed in church beginning on September 13th